You know, for the longest time, I would routinely feel bad on Good Friday. Personally, it was a source of not just irony, but almost confusion as to why we even called Good Friday good. You know, for starters, I would feel mostly bad about Jesus when it came to Good Friday. We would sing the kind of songs that we've sung today and reflect on the kind of scriptures that focused on Jesus' death and, you know, just considering what it would have felt like to be betrayed by such a close friend or what it would have felt like to be wrongly accused and falsely convicted and and what that pain ultimately resulted in, in the agony of a death by crucifixion. I mean, I couldn't just help but feel awful and sorrowful for Jesus when it came to this Good Friday. But then on top of that, I'd feel bad for or about myself, because for years we'd sing a song that contained the lyric, it was my sin that held him there. And I had to kind of reflect every Good Friday on the fact that, you know, what all those people did to Jesus, I would have done to Jesus if I lived in Jesus' day myself, because it wasn't just their sin, but it was mine that he died for as well. And so for a lot of years, I wrestled with what it was that was so good about Good Friday when all I'm feeling is just routinely bad. But you know, the more that I've hopefully gotten to know Jesus, the more that I've kind of reflected and understood kind of the essence of Good Friday, I think that Jesus would hope for a very different impact and a very different emotion from people as we stare at the events of Good Friday. And personally, I'd be in a place, you know, especially in the last number of years, where I'd feel like more than anything, Jesus would want people to feel not bad, but inspired. I think Jesus wants people to feel inspired when it comes to the events of Good Friday. Now, on the one hand, I think that Jesus would want people to feel inspired by the depth of his love and the lengths to which he was willing to express his love to humanity. I think he'd, he'd want people to be inspired by his love because when it comes to all that injustice and all that unfairness and all that excruciating pain, Jesus consciously chose that for the sake of you and me. He consciously chose that out of his love for us. Think about the betrayal of Judas. Re- recognize, whether you understand this or not, that Jesus knew that that was going to happen. Look at what it says in John chapter 6, in verse 64. It says, Jesus had known from the beginning which of his disciples or which of his followers did not believe and who would betray him. Imagine that. Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas would betray him and yet consciously invited him into his inner circle, consciously chose to befriend him, consciously chose to invest in him, consciously chose to to keep him around even until the, the Last Supper. Jesus consciously chose to engage in that relationship with Judas in spite of the reality that he would be betrayed, which led to the eventual trajectory or destiny of Jesus' life, which Jesus also consciously chose. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter 26. He said, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Whether Jesus knew that all his life or throughout his adult ministry, 
Two days earlier, Jesus was resolute about what was going to happen to him and consciously entered into it anyway. I want us to appreciate that one of the things that makes Good Friday so good is the degree to which Jesus demonstrates his love for people by embracing that pain, by embracing that heartbreak, by embracing that betrayal as the pathway to demonstrating and expressing his love. And so in addition, I feel like in addition to being inspired by his love, what Jesus would want for would-be followers is to be inspired to love in this very same way, by embracing a degree of pain as the pathway to love. Think that you know, when Jesus not just modeled a way of life, but taught and, and, and kind of inspired people, he, he ultimately oriented things around a life of love. We've studied many times that Jesus kind of reframed the rule book of faith down to a great commandment of simply loving God and loving others with everything that you've got. And he later redefined that law of love as a new command defined by loving one another. Most of us, whether we follow Jesus or not, appreciate that Jesus was all about the message of love. But I wonder whether we can appreciate that that message of love was assumed to be and even instructed to be through the pathway of consciously choosing degrees of pain, of inconvenience, of discomfort, of, of relinquishing privilege for those of less privilege. That's what Jesus meant in Luke 9 when he said, whoever wants to meet my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. In the same way that Jesus consciously chose the cross and what's represented by the pathway of pain in a life of love, he invites would-be followers of his to choose that same life of love by embracing the pathway of pain. And that's what's so unexpected about Good Friday. What ultimately makes Good Friday so good and what we ultimately celebrate is the opportunity Jesus has given to be both inspired by his love and inspired to love by appreciating the unexpected pathway through pain that that life of love involves. Hope that we can appreciate that this Good Friday, that the life of love that Jesus invites us into is actually very different from what many of us may approach Jesus for in our understanding of des or desire of what faith is. Because for a lot of us, we're looking for a life of blessing, which is different than a life of love. We're looking for a life of kind of sprinkling some spiritual pixie dust on our lives or sprinkling some uh, promise of eternal life on our lives or making our lives of ease comfort and convenience better, when in reality, Jesus invites us into a life of love, and a life of love often requires that pathway of pain that is inconvenient, that embraces a degree of discomfort, that relinquishes privilege for those of less privilege, that endures unfairness and injustice, and that embraces that pathway for the sake of love in a countercultural, unexpected kind of a way. That's what Jesus meant in Mark chapter 8 when he said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. 
the invitation of Good Friday, the invitation represented by Jesus' love that invites us and hopefully inspires us to love, is one that consciously chooses to die to that life of ease and comfort and convenience to embrace the higher opportunity to love, appreciating that the life of love journeys through the pathway of pain. And to be clear, that doesn't mean that a life of following Jesus is just exclusively a downer, because I know a lot of people will reject the opportunity to follow Jesus, or they'll tap out on a life of faith because they assume that all it is is thou shalt nots or things you, you can't do. People associate following Jesus or having a, a faith in Christ simply with loss. And the truth is, especially represented by Good Friday and Easter weekend, following Jesus is all about gain. It's receiving his gift of forgiveness and his gift of eternal life. And even more than that, the gift of a quality of life on earth that he describes as abundant, where we can experience the fullness of human flourishing by pursuing his life of love. It's all about gain. What's unexpected, though, is the conscious choice of Jesus. And as followers of his, the conscious choice that we're invited to make to pursue that life of love through the unexpected pathway of consciously embracing degrees of pain. So the question for us today is where in our experience of a life of love is the choice to embrace the pathway of pain kind of staring us in the face? And will we embrace the pathway of pain in that life of love? You know, where is, is love requiring us to embrace an inconvenience of initiating or staying committed to a relationship? Where is love requiring us to embrace the discomfort of difficult conversations or the discomfort of entering into conflict resolution? Where is a life of love inviting us in to embrace the humbling of ourselves, to listen to others, and to kind of swallow our pride, own our pieces of how we've hurt other people, and apologize and, and repent to, to, to kind of be different? Where is a life of love, you know, desiring us to stay faithful and stay committed even when we're hurt or let down or betrayed, to turn the other cheek or to extend undeserved grace to others in the way that Jesus has offered undeserved grace to us? That's the question for each of us. If we're going to be inspired by Jesus' love, Will we allow ourselves to be inspired to love in the same way by embracing the discomfort, the inconvenience, and the inevitable pain that comes with it? One really great kind of practical, but I think powerful example of this in our community is in uh, the life of a family named Matt and Jen Lensink. Years ago, uh, they considered becoming foster parents. And I think one of the things that at first held them back was the, the kind of inevitability for foster parents of giving back the fostered kids and, you know, kind of dealing with all of the grief and heartache of loving on someone for a period of time only to give them back. But in their lives, and especially in Jen's life, she processed that and got to the point where she actually embraced that 
kind of pain in order to express that kind of love, and as a result, have experienced such an abundance of love and of Jesus in their family dynamic as a result. And so, as we celebrate what's actually good about Good Friday, and as we're inspired by Jesus' love and inspired to love in the way of Jesus, let's hear their story today, and let's be inspired by Jesus in their life and family as well. Check out their story. I was always, I was a little bit wrestling with what I was going to do. Um, and also, of course, fostering was always on our hearts to do, especially um, when I was having, when we had little kids, I thought that's something I could definitely do. I was sort of deciding, am I going to step away from my career and teaching? Am I gonna put it on, on hold? Philip would have been like three at the time and Charlotte was 18 months, so that was, a hard thing to sort of come to decide. I was worried about my marriage. Is this going to be straining on my marriage? Is this going to be hard on me as a young mom? Um, how is this going to affect my kids, my own biological children? Was this going to be hard for them to build attachments and say goodbye? Our first foster daughter was born and the energy in my house was insane. But it was so exciting because we had talked about this for like weeks, actually almost months as we're doing all our training. So the kids knew there was going to be little kids that were going to come into our home. The honeymoon period of it all was just so exciting and got to have this fresh little bundle to love on. We didn't know how long. So she was with us for just over two years. Yeah, we raised her from birth. You know, after two years of having a child in your home, we grew such strong attachments. We thought really if this if this could work out, we would think about adoption. So we thought about her being in our forever family. But that really wasn't that really wasn't God's plan. It was for her to move on and to be with her full biological sister. But we know that that God's faithfulness was on her all the time. It was He knew exactly where she needed to go. Whenever you say goodbye to a child, um, <laughs> it's like death. I mean, you have poured everything out for that little one. And I would do it again and again. That child is, is deserving of a loving and caring home, right? But you love them like your own, right? And your kiddos, your biological children, love them like your own. My husband loves the, these kids like their own. So when they leave, it's a part of you that leaves as well. Our family during that time really learned, I would say, well, when the first one left, just really what loss and what grief looks like. And that was the beginning of a whole journey of loss for us, for sure. It was amazing to sort of watch us learn what that is, to learn strategies as a family, to sort of navigate and to grieve together. Um, these amazing little human lives that, that have come to our family, and then learn how to sit in the suffering of that and then allow God to meet us there. I think embracing suffering as a pathway to love has shown me I can do things beyond I ever thought I could because I'm not doing this alone. I think a lot of times people think that people who are doing these 
big sac sacrificial love adventures are like these really aggressive, intense, crazy, superpower people, but it's not. I really just think it's actually embracing more of a vulnerable side of yourself and knowing that you can do it, you can do it through God's help. And like, it's actually better to sort of embrace sort of that weakness part of who you are. Obviously it's through my relationship with God and it's through that, that divine power, that the Holy Spirit's power through us, but it's also through living in community. When we're dealing with loss and we're dealing with the hard things, it's about those pe those pillars of people in your life that are holding you up as well. I did never, I did not think about this at all. Um, as I began to foster, I just had a deep deepening passion to care for kiddos, and this is some definitely something I had to learn through sort of embracing darkness and death and self-sacrifice and facing hard things like facing the darkness that's truly in our story that's sort of how it's gone um being able to just say I can face this darkness because I know I'm not going to be alone and I and do it and actually do it again <laughs> like keep doing it right and and you just get stronger and you rely more on again God not 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 you but what God is doing through you